0: Hi, this is Steve Urspringer. You're listening to Worshiping God God's Way. It's a podcast that talks about worship in today's society and comparison to worship when it was first created, the societies that experienced worship throughout the Old Testament, through the New Testament. It brings us to a place where we have to compare ourselves. To what has happened before. And it's an interesting topic because things have changed uh, in the society that we live in. And it's important for us to take a look at these things and talk about them. So, talking about worship in our society is the main topic here. And this chapter and this episode is about 1 Samuel 1. It's episode 10. It talks about Hannah, who is living in a situation where her husband has a second wife. They have multiple children. It's a very unhappy household. And in spite of all of that, every year the man takes his family on a journey to a temple where they worship God. So in this situation that we read and what we want to find out here is how does Hannah handle all of the issues that she's facing. What does she do? First of all, Hannah cannot have a child, and because of that, the second wife is very arrogant about it, and she mocks Hannah. Hannah struggles with love, because when a woman wants to have a child, it's because they love children, they want children, but when she finds out she can't have it, she grieves just over that itself, not being able to have a child for a woman uh, when they're married and want a family that's a difficult thing to face it's hard to go through the agony of not being able to have a child so on top of that she has to deal with the second wife now not only is that difficult but Hannah believes in God and so does her husband they have a family that is centered around the idea of a creator God. So they would go on a long journey to a temple where God's presence was expected to be there. Now, when they get to this temple, and they go there often, the temple has hidden exploitation. There's sins going on behind doors, and nobody really knows about it. That produces a spiritually dead society. It produces a temple that's dead inside, and people are still going there. But there's no spiritual involvement. They're expecting the theophany of God, but it's not there. Now, the priest of this temple is named Eli. He's older he struggles, he can't detect the spiritual climate, he's complacent, uh, he's comfortable in his office but he has no discernment. He has two sons and their younger sons and we'll talk about them in a minute but they have a problematic issue there and he doesn't do anything about it. Eli just lets it take its place. But when Hannah is there, Eli looks at her, sees her worshiping and he says, what are you drunk? He says, what's wrong with you? You're acting kind of funny. Well, he doesn't even understand what Hannah's doing, but it shows that he's very used to the idea of people drinking and being drunk when they're at the temple. So that shows me what the climate is, and does everybody there drink? Most likely they do. Is it socially accepted during that time at that temple? Yes, it was. It's like saying, here, just have another beer. You know, what's it gonna hurt? It came to the point that Eli, he couldn't even recognize what God is doing and what he's not doing. He's so wrapped up in his own social interaction and his own pleasures that he doesn't consider what God is thinking. Now today in my society, today here, this year, last year, our worship leaders, some of them which I've possibly know or some of them which I've read about or heard about, some of their worship leaders in some of these places, they run to the pubs on Saturday night. And then they run to the altar of worship on Sunday morning. You know, it's age appropriate for our society. It's age appropriate for people to go drink some and then go church the next day. You know, it's almost like if a worship leader is going to hang out and be popular and be socially accepted, he does those things. But There's something important here. When Eli prays, it's powerless. Eli meets Hannah and he finds that she's in this situation. So he prays over her, but it's powerless. Hannah doesn't believe it. Eli's lifestyle brings about this powerless operation. It just looks good from the outside, but there's really nothing going on on the inside. Now I'm going to say this, worship leaders, anybody, not just worship leaders, but Christians in general, you do have to be careful what you do, where you run to. You have to be careful what you do on Saturday and what then what you're going to say and do on Sunday. It's just a never ending story. But Eli's two sons, both of his sons, they secretly defile the worship place and they justify it. Their tainted actions are justified because they're young and they're following the social norms of that day. So they're thinking, oh, this is just great. But in reality, it's not great. It has a real impact on the theophany of God, the presence of God. God's pretty particular about things like that. We might say it's okay, no big deal, everything looks good. But is it really looking good? Is it really okay? Well, this is Hannah's world that she's living in, childless struggling within family members, a temple, a church gathering, so to speak, that is spiritually dead. But she does something. Even though Hannah's world is desolate, it's physically desolate and spiritually desolate, Hannah, like the Apostle Paul, which we're going to find out in a second, stays true to true worship. She worships God God's way in spite of society's way. Everyone else falls to the pressure of corrupt religious experiences and lifestyles. And what they're really doing is they failed to worship God his way. The people follow social norms. And when people do that, they're going to find over time that it's a slow separation that takes place. The temple exists. It is standing there visible but it's not operating spiritually. Remember, Eli couldn't tell if Hannah was drunk or not. God is not inhabiting the altar of worship in that place. It's lifeless. It sparkles with bells, there's smoke rising as an image of God's spirit, but there are also people standing in the midst of this like Hannah and they're waiting for the theophany of God. What happens to Hannah is, it says in verse 19 in this first chapter, it says early the next morning, Hannah with all of her family and all of her children and then the wife and the husband, they go and they worship one more time. She goes down and she bows herself honestly before God and worships him. And then she goes home. Nothing happens, but she goes home. Despite the overwhelming circumstances, Hannah bows before God anyway. She does it intimately in the middle of a perverse misled community of God believers. They are God believers, but they're misled. For Hannah, the world around is overwhelming. And thinking about it, she becomes depressed. It's hard, it's a struggle. Now, I want us to compare a scripture. This is Ephesians 3, verse 14. Paul, he writes this, "'When I think of all of this, I fall to my knees.'" At this moment, as Paul's writing this chapter, this book of Ephesians, this letter, he's thinking about all that God has done from the beginning, creation, angels, families in heavens, families on earth, the secret of Jesus coming, which no one was prepared for, the idea of what God was bringing to the earth, the depth of God's universal plan for the church, the strategies that God had to save people out of sin who had no idea they were in sin. He was trying to close the gap between his people and the God that they confessed, not knowing there was a gap. He was also in the process of explaining the difference and bringing heaven and earth together within the meeting of Jesus as the connecting point. He was trying to explain that. He was concerned about the peace between Gentiles and Jews. That was part of his agenda, just like the peace between Hannah's friend, which was the second wife. The temple to Paul is now inside a person. That's contrary to what his family was thinking. Being subject to the Holy Spirit's leading, that was the other big issue. The Holy Spirit's leading is what was bringing Jesus to people. It was part of the experience. And then he was worried and thinking about everything in Christ standing before him, as priests before the Lord, ministering to him as what it was to Eli, what Eli should have been doing. But under all of these things, he was under all of the pressures of the social norms. Both Paul and Hannah share similarities. They have passionate hearts. They experience love and grief. They have opposition They face depression, but they have the endurance to succeed. Hannah worshipped for years. She came every year with her family. Each time her husband took both wives and children to the altar of worship. These were the circumstances of life. And slowly, over time, it becomes unbearable for Hannah. Paul had worshipped for years since before he was a Jesus follower, when he was a little boy studying to become a Jewish priest. Years before he wrote Ephesians, he would bow down and worship God. But his conflict was compounded when he meets Jesus. And with just a few months or years after meeting Jesus, it's very complicated. And just like Hannah, who had issues over a lifetime, Paul has the similar pressures of life and all that is happening to him. And Hannah and Paul both end up in the same place. When things have finally become too much, both of them went to the most familiar place. They both were comfortable at the altar of worship, the bowing place. The difference between Hannah and Paul, there is a difference, Hannah, is asking God for a favor. She's asking him for a miracle. Paul is asking for nothing. He's just observing, remembering, contemplating all that God is doing. During everyday life, before it gets too difficult, one should bow. The real story here is it's much easier when you're familiar with the invisible altar. And there is an invisible altar. There's one right now at your feet. If you wanted to worship and bow before the altar of God, it's right there at your feet. My son has a picture in his living room, a poster actually, that says, when it's too difficult to stand, bow. And I would say it like this, before it gets too difficult to stand, bow. Which one would you choose, before or after? I would suggest, like Hannah and Paul would both suggest the same thing. Find that place of bowing before the Lord, before it's too difficult, when it's comfortable and you're under no pressure to worship God. Then when the pressures come, it'll be a place that you're familiar with, and you can bow down and worship God, the God of created all things, that built everything, put everything into place, brought Jesus to all of us, to connect us between heaven and earth, to finish the things that he started. You can worship there. Whether the temple is having problems, whether there's no temple at all, whether it's a wonderful place and everything's just perfect, that's the place where you bow down and you worship by Canon and Paul.